<laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sorry. Ashley just gave us a really excited look from across the table. I thought she was looking at me to talk, and I was like, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Hey y'all, it's Megan. It's Ashley. And Dylan. And this is the Forward South Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the final episode of the year. This is episode 14 of the Forward South Podcast. Can you believe it? I'm trying to have my little way moment. <laughs> 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 He's about Dylan to set is, this like this buffer thing outside yes, on fire. Dylan has mic. a lighter. You Weezy F baby. <laughs> you bur really baby. <laughs> DZO baby. Speak. Welcome to the Fort South podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here and like not to be gross, but I just have like a lot of mucus in my body right now. So please excuse like any like weirdness in my voice today. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm here, so that's all that matters. <laughs> we made it to the end, and we thought we'd do something a little different for this episode, sort of still following the same format, but we have compiled, with help from you, a list of this year's most significant Southern stories, and we're just going to go through and talk about them all. And oh my, what a year it's been. What uh, a what a year. 2019 came in swinging and did not stop. Not at all. <laughs> did not stop. I feel beat down. Right. <laughs> Tired. I also can't believe it's over, though. Like, that it's been an entire year yeah. is weird. Like, I was talking about some something with someone the other day, and I was like, oh, you know, the thing that happened the other day. And they're like, do you mean February? And I was like, yeah, February. <laughs> so and almost an entire year ago. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, it's gone by really fast. Well, and we started out the year kind of on a break from Fort South, actually. Unfortunately, we've been able to come back and be consistent with this podcast. Hand and claps for that. Yay to <laughs> us. So, yes, we got our shit together in 2019, so it wasn't all bad. Not at all. And unfortunately, now we have, you know, everyday new listeners coming across and finding this podcast and our other work, and it's really exciting. So I did a little calculating the other day uh -oh. of our listeners. Not the numbers. I was going to say, when Ashley does math. Crunched. <laughs> it's a very shocking development for me, too. <laughs> I crunched some numbers because just a shout out to Apple Podcasts and Spotify Analytics. You guys aren't that great. Ooh, <laughs> yikes. But Bless so I had to do hand carrying the and borrowing. And all of that. Uh, you but really we need some new math, some of that Common Core math. We could help. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Yikes. I'm sorry. Yikes. That has consumed <laughs> my life at work for the last <laughs> month. Anyway, continue. We have, if I recall correctly, and I might have to come back and correct myself, at least 116 individual listeners, which is really fucking cool. And you all really liked Ryan Dalton's episode the most shout out to ryan you. shout out to public education we love it we, <laughs> we love, love to it. see it yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's really awesome that you all are listening to this yeah i mean i should not be surprised because we we do put a lot of like heart and faith into this and we and i think that like our work is good and warrants a good reader or listenership but it was surprising to hear that we have over 100 listeners so yes. 
that's cool. I thought we were talking about like 12 people every week. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yay. I'm a shook. I think that bodes well for our future. You know, this is just season one. So, who knows what else we have Look at coming. Megan's mom on Facebook looking like a baddie. I just scroll past this picture she posted <laughs> oh 34 God. minutes ago. She who is, is she? so cute. Wait, let me see. Liz, I adore you. Look at them. Oh, she my God. Pose. Pose. Give you an over the shoulder. Over the shoulder. Her hair looks really good, yes. too. Uh, uh, sickening. We love Mama we Liz. We do. We do love her. Wow. And, like, her hair looks so good these days because I, I don't know what it is, but so she, my mom uh, previously has gone through cancer and gone through chemo treatment, and her hair has been growing back in, like, very just different than it was before, but also just, like, fuller. I don't know. It looks great. It's yes. glorious. For my Southern story of the year, I thought I would focus on a set of stories from media groups all over, not just unique to the South, but the coverage of the Alabama Department of Correction facilities has been, to me, the most significant coverage this year that we've seen. I think many people in Alabama know that this has been an ongoing conversation for years, but it felt like for me that this year the conversation around prison conditions has culminated and sort of exploded into giving real insight into what people are going through in these facilities. I'm going to link to some of these articles to follow but you know the most recent one I've talked about has been Montgomery Advertiser's really intensive look at Alabama prisons through the eyes and voices of people who are currently being held there I believe AL.com has done interviews with family members Mm -hmm. there's been reporting unique from the ACLU Mm -hmm. the New Republic has also produced stories about Alabama prison conditions And I know I'm missing many more. I think that the more we begin to illuminate what is going on in these facilities, the more we will be able to hold the officials in charge of these facilities accountable and really counter this narrative that they're trying to promote that what they're doing in these facilities is rehabilitative or helpful in any way to the ongoing lives of the people who are held there. And I think the more we push back against that by uplifting the voices of those who are incarcerated and formerly incarcerated, the better we will be able to see people be treated. And hopefully, you know, as we've been talking about, just eliminate these facilities altogether so that we look at other methods for meeting the needs of people who have been harmed and those who do commit harms. And maybe some of that money can go to into, you know, who knows, education, public health. Wouldn't that maybe. be great? Infrastructure. I just have to say, like, I mean, I have such an appreciation for our media. We talk about this a lot here because so many of the stories we talk about on this mm-hmm. podcast from, you know, every other week are sourced from local papers, from like regional websites or blogs and, and things like that. And so, you know, we oftentimes struggle here in the Deep South to get the same level of media coverage, especially on some of these particularly striking issues like criminal justice reform, you know, reproductive rights, reproductive health care in general. You know, one of the things I think I've really appreciated this year about seeing how 
uh, especially Alabama media, so many of those sites that Ashley named are local. One of the things I appreciate about how the Alabama media has taken on this issue has been that they didn't wait until the, it kind of popped off in the national headlines. They didn't wait until there was this national spotlight to then say, oh, well, we've got to also get our story out there. Ashley, one of the things you mentioned was that they are really doing an amazing job at capturing the voices of those impacted, the people both currently incarcerated, their families, people who um, have lost family members while they've been incarcerated. And, you know, that is where I feel like that's where the activism really is in this. And that's where the, the, the true like opportunity is for us to actually see this drive and advance some change. So I want to talk about a story that I think really builds off of something you both have talked about. This was a piece that came out in early November in Scalawag magazine. Shout out to Scalawag because I really always have appreciated their work even since I think before we launched this. And they're doing a great job over there as well at just kind of keeping the attention, the focus on the power and the, the grassroots level work that's happening in the Deep South. And this piece that I'm going to talk about definitely represents that. It was titled Starve the Beast, Southern Campaigns to, Divert, to Divest, Decarcerate, and Reimagine Public Safety. And this was written by Zaina Alsus, um, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who is an editor at Scalawag Magazine. And this piece really did a just really beautiful job at capturing um, throughout this year and in just recent years, this momentum and energy that's been building in the Deep South around racial justice and criminal justice reform work. Ashley talked, obviously, about the conditions and a lot of what we're facing here in Alabama. We've talked about that so much uh, on this season of the podcast. And we talk about oftentimes the drivers of these things. We talk a lot about education on this podcast as well. We talk about the criminalization of mental illnesses and drug addiction and all of those things. And I think one of the things that this piece captured that we don't see enough is that there is such an active and bold empowered movement happening, you know, throughout the South um, to fight back against these kind of tactics and this like expansion of criminalization that we're seeing in this country. Like mass incarceration isn't something that we have yet really tackled in I think a more nuanced way. It's not something that yet I think we have maybe seen people organize around in the same ways that we saw like with the civil rights movement, with the bus boycott and those type of things. And yet it is such a crisis as Ashley illuminated as we talk about a lot. And they highlighted in this piece throughout the South from Atlanta to Durham to Nashville different movements that are happening and really how they've also been inspired in the wake of uh, the, the Ferguson protests, of course, and Black Lives Matter movement. And so Zaina goes through really a, a number of different nonprofit organizations and specific organizers who are abolitionists fighting against this as a criminalization. Um, she talks about the crisis of money bail and pretrial detention. She talks about mass incarceration. But she also talks specifically about some of the tactics and some of the methods that we're seeing these organizers use. So like in East Atlanta, where the Racial Justice Action Center is, she talks about organizers like Marilyn Wynn, who is a resident of Atlanta, who was once incarcerated at the Atlanta City Detention Center, who this year actually organized a campaign around encouraging the Atlanta City Council and 
the newish mayor there, <laughs> Keisha Lance Bottoms, to close that jail. And they talked about this framework of investment versus divestment. Um, which is being kind of more commonly used as we talk about abolition of prisons and policing and the closures of prisons and jails, like how we can actually like reinvest those costs into fighting more the re- root causes of criminality versus the, you know, like overly punitive, really like late, just to be, <laughs> for lack of a better phrasing, methods in which we're addressing crime and uh, mental illness and drug addiction. She also talks about organizations like Song, BYP 100, and Spirit House in Durham, who really started a campaign in 2016 to fight back against a proposed $80 million police headquarters in Durham, which was actually not a successful campaign in the sense of that, that on that specific issue, they were not able to stop it. However, that work, and this is something like I will just take a personal liberty here to like really <laughs> pound into our listeners' minds. It's like these campaigns and this work we're doing, especially in criminal justice reform in the South, will like not be easy ones. They will not be things that we get on the first time around. And I think this story like just reinforces that because it was not successful as people would traditionally define it in the beginning. However, that work was really something that was just laid a foundation for a later campaign and effort that they built around a coalition called Durham Beyond Policing. And this campaign actually was also about illuminating, once again, through the divestment and reinvestment framework, how um, instead of hiring 18 new police officers and a total of 72 over the over the next three years, that funding could in fact be reinvested and they they presented a 50-page proposal ranging that touched on things ranging from expungement clinics to affordable housing jobs and harm reduction initiatives and so once again like this was something that they were able to like actually push because they like did the work two three years ago yeah i could talk about this piece all day it really was like one of my favorite things i think i read all year (laughs) and like it to me captured what like i hope in some ways it's like representative of of like where the south is going right like it's like we are seeing um a younger generation that is now building a movement and building in our own through our own frameworks and like certainly like hearkening back to the things that we've learned from things like the boycotts and from the civil rights movement but like taking that up a notch and taking on like local initiatives and taking on state policy and legislative work. And it's just really exciting to see like the engagement of our peers and other young people of folks ranging from even more moderate beliefs into the abolitionist work because we know that in the South here, we are like having to kind of find a nexus within like those like ideologies, right? If we're really going to move anything. And so it's just really powerful work happening. And I just always like to remind people whenever I can that like the South is not new to this shit. Like we've been doing it. (laughs) I say this all the time and we don't need for folks to come and save us. We're not waiting on someone to come and teach us how to do it. If you want to show up and if you want to support this type of work, which you can do is you can invest in it you can help us build you can get us the resources that we need in order to to get the work done i will add a shout out to steph bernal martinez who was part of that original organizing in durham if you want to hear more from steph you can listen to episode seven of the podcast in which steph and her partner allison talk about their abolitionist bookstore in montgomery But thank you, Steph, for giving us a vision of what 
abolition work looks like mm-hmm. and doing that hard early work in Durham for the future that they are trying to make happen today. We do outlines for every episode, guys. What I'm about to say is not on my outline. I'm sorry, but I'm going to add this in. <laughs> Something that was a huge Southern story that I know we shared articles about on our social media, but we haven't really talked about on the podcast, is the fact that Mississippi, for the first time in their history, has met national averages yeah. for fourth grade math and reading. Oh, wow on the NAEP, which is the National Assessment for Educational Progress. That's kind of like, that's a test that's administered to a sampling of students in every state every two years to kind of gauge where states are nationally. Um, on education reform and and making sure students, you know, know how to read and do basic arithmetic. And this year, uh, after a couple of years of concerted effort by Mississippi's state legislature, their education officials, their governor, everyone like that, have actually improved reading outcomes and math outcomes for students. And Mm -hmm. what is actually most important about them reaching the national average is that they also narrowed the gap between white and black students and poor and affluent students. So I uh, don't have the exact data on me right now by how many points, and I don't think that necessarily matters. I just think Shout out to Mississippi for proving that national narrative wrong, that our education down here sucks, that we don't, we're not focusing our efforts on where they need to be and we don't have an equity focus when Mississippi clearly does have that and they are working on that. And I think what made me think of this is we're talking about the the other side, right, of lack of education. And when we talk about prisons and incarcerating people, and I think that it was just a bright spot in our region to know that our neighbors are at least on the path to educating all children better and well. So congrats, Mississippi. I hope that this continues on. And unfortunately for Alabama, we had the exact opposite. We actually lost ground on our achievement gap. We widened the gap between uh, black and white students and poor and affluent students. And we have a lot of work to do, but we can't say thank God for Mississippi anymore but we can definitely learn from them so uh, just wanted to point out that bright spot the other thing that obviously we would be remiss if we didn't put that in this episode is that our mayor is now black here in Montgomery so 200 years after the founding of this city where you know we were the central part of the slave trade in this region 200 years after that we finally swore in our very first black mayor and that's just been huge and I it's already it's already kind of changed the feeling of this city. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, this was like an uh, like a huge part of kind of the energy, electricity in Montgomery this year because this election it, it carried. I mean, they came in. We talked about this. It came in with a lot of folks running, and we had I think we had twelve or thirteen candidates. So, you know, that started late spring was when the election stuff really started to kick up i'm like i'm just now thinking about i'm like that was a long election period i think you know we talked about how rough 2019 was i think we were all personally victimized by that election to be honest (laughs) it went on forever Yeah. yeah and there were a lot of people so for mayor reed to sort of distinguish himself amongst that crowd and pick up enough votes like you know i think people were concerned worried about the votes being spread too thin and things like that but he he really had a great campaign staff a great campaign strategy and really you know yeah made history I mean he garnered by the end of it by the last runoff he garnered literally two-thirds of the entire vote which is I mean he beat his opponent two to one 
Also, there's a video of him out there dancing at the Nagra Ball that it, I think <laughs> everyone should try to hunt down. Is I don't know if we can provide a was, link to that. But uh, Is that when he was doing the swag surf? <clears throat> that did occur. That did occur. I wasn't actually referencing that specific moment, but you're right. Oh, I'm sorry, Mary. Wow. But I saw that video you know as well. And I think that you are a leader. <laughs> and oh, my God will be great in that role there are other people in the city who know how to dance <laughs> oh and my so w- there's a f- famous turn of phrase we like to say amongst ourselves and that's stay in your lane <laughs> <laughs> we also keep you humble here yes. 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 oh my goodness <laughs> i can't um it's important to be self-aware. Like, we know our limits, <laughs> you know? I also, I too cannot dance, <laughs> Mayor Reed. Bless your heart. This has become a confessional. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of you guys' favorite segments this year on our podcast has been the Bless Your Heart Definitely section. Definitely their favorite. <laughs> it is also my favorite because I get to, you know air out my concerns, grievances, problems, and all with a dusting of shade on top. So (laughs) this is the most significant one, though, because this is who we want to bless for the entire year. (laughs) So have at it, folks. Well, oh, Dylan's face. (laughs) We've got here today. To bless Governor K. Ivy, who has done a bang up job, <laughs> really just exceeded exceeded all expectations in 2019. I mean, she, she has soared. Oh yes. So you know K. Ivy, who was never supposed to become a fucking governor. Let's just like put that out there in the first place. This was never supposed to happen. Yeah, but like Roy Moore was never really supposed to be. I mean, we do yeah. this in Alabama. This is true. This is true. <laughs> And she's there because our last one had to resign. <laughs> and then she was actually able to secure an election when herself, despite the fact that she literally did not campaign. However, she said, well, now that I've stepped into the governor's mansion with the votes of the people, mm. then I will do the people's will. So she says. So... K.I.V. this year decided that she would sign the most comprehensive and wide-sweeping ban on reproductive freedom that this country's ever seen. She decided that she would oversee a state where rural hospital closures would continue to be on the rise because they failed to expand Medicaid. She decided that she would oversee a state with the uh, perhaps highest, I believe the highest, Prison mortality rate in the nation this year, at, I believe as of today, of December 16th, is sitting at uh, about 25 confirmed people. But I happen to know that that will be higher before this week is over. Those are just waiting to be confirmed, unfortunately. She also has continued to see a Department of Education where, as Megan indicated earlier, our results are getting no better. Utility rates, something that we've talked a lot about on this podcast through especially Megan and Ashley's frustrations with their gas bills, are on the rise. She could not seal the deal 
on the Mobile Bridge plan, which while it certainly would have raised taxes for um, locals, you know, in an area where Megan and I grew up, they're now facing the possibility of a bridge that they drive across every day just crumbling to pieces in the coming decades because there is no other alternative plan. So great. And then also she directed the state to defend a lawsuit against the city of Birmingham so that they can maintain their Confederate monuments and their parks, mm. a case which the state actually prevailed um, in a decision just a couple weeks ago by the Alabama Supreme Court. It's quite, quite a resume for Kay this year, I have to say. Um, just really, you know, moving the ball forward for the people of Alabama. Um, really just, you know, making it feel like this is a place of prosperity and hope. And, you know, all doing it while she gets to sip on her uh, brown liquor <laughs> at night, which I hear she fancies. So thank you, Kay Ivy, and bless your heart because actually, I don't care. God bless. If anyone wants a perfect textbook example of what privilege looks like, just be Kay Ivy and stumble your way into a lieutenant governor position and then have your boss have sex with his, what is it, his assistant, Robert? Uh, did, what was her job? Did she have a real job? She was a consultant. Oh, she was consulting. She, mm. was consulting. she now also works at his dermatologist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, so, isn't guess, she still married? Yeah. Ooh. It is, I think that's like, you know what? Let's talk about her. <laughs> what is her name? Because the real you are story. just stunting on us. I mean, <laughs> you still got paid for, you know, anyway. Still got a husband. No, I want to talk about it. <laughs> Still got that's, a job. Like he took her with him to his dermatology firm. Like that's the southern out. story of the decade, the in my opinion. The rain. You know. Wow. Oh, dear God. Do okay. people go to him as a dermat? He's a dermatologist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Don't know how he still has a license. Don't know how KIB has the governorship. It all comes full uh, circle. Lots of question marks that we're <laughs> ending this year. Bless your heart, K-Ivy. You want to know what I hate? Oh, I want to know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the immigration and customs enforcement of the United States, also known as ICE. We don't like them. I don't know her. <clears throat> We especially don't like them in the South, where the number of people detained by ICE has quadrupled in the last year Jesus. in the Deep South. That number has gone from just over 2,000 to more than 8,000. And that was the middle of the year, so I can only imagine where that number is now. The reason why I bring up ICE, particularly as it relates to the Deep South, was because this year... ICE conducted a sweeping raid of several chicken processing plants, primarily in Mississippi, where 680 people were apprehended and detained. These people were at work. These people planned to go home to their kids that day. And instead, they were met with the uncurtailed and un limited force of a agency that does not need to exist and I don't think that this agency has a heart they are hiding people in facilities that they 
put up like matchboxes because they keep filling the ones that are already there. And for people in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, anywhere that is close to the southern border, people are in an incredible amount of danger. And so, you know, ICE, I feel like if you work for ICE or if you purport to be in association with ICE in any way, you've got some reflecting to do. If you have a heart, I hope God blesses it and that you change your mind about working for such an agency. You are putting black and brown migrants in danger every day. In fact, you are killing them, as we've seen, whether children or adults coming up missing or dead in your care. And am I correct in saying that I saw recently that doctors who volunteered to provide those vaccines for free were arrested no i did not see that they were turned away and a few were arrested because when they were turned away they began to protest um and i still didn't let them into the facilities because as one as one doctor said they're creating a flu epidemic in the types of like places that they're keeping people and um and one doctor literally said, I mean, you have blood on your hands when a child dies from the flu when they could have had um, a vaccination. Yes. I think I can't put it any better. ICE has blood on their hands. And as I said before, if they have hearts, if any of you have hearts, I hope God blesses them. And, you know, fuck ICE. Melt ICE. Abolish ICE. Abolish ICE. We don't need you. You are a useless organization. You're taking funding that could be used to pay for, you know, these same children to have a quality education mm-hmm. or for their parents to be able to work without the fear of being apprehended for no good reason. So, yeah, bless your heart. Fuck you. Yes. Yeah, also just worth reminding folks who that ISIS uh, still relatively new agency. Like we mm-hmm. were getting along, you know, not perfectly, but a lot better than we are now before they came along. And this all grew out of fear. And as so many shitty, horrible policies do. Uh, racism and bigotry that drove this xenophobia that drove this kind of uh, fear of the outsider, fear of the immigrant. And this is an attitude that we've just seen growing and become more prevalent in the wake of 9-11 and since the early 2000s, not less. And this is in many ways, our country is a history, no doubt, of bigotry and racism, xenophobia towards immigrants. However, you would think in 2019, you know, at this point, of the millennium that with the the place that our country's at, you know, with, in terms of like the diversity we see across so many fields, so, uh, in terms of the access to the fucking internet <laughs> so that we can actually look at the contributions that people who were not born in this country have made. And in fact, you know, still even being able to understand the dignity of all people now, despite what contributions that they've made, that we not be seeing these, this level of like abuse and violence and just mistreatment of, of of immigrants and of children but here we are so my bless your heart is the heart that i feel like i bless every other episode on <laughs> this epi- on this um, podcast bless your heart to the alabama democratic party now i'm blessing your heart 
this time because I actually have hope that you actually do something different. This is um, a good bless your heart. Yeah, well, you know, it's a culmination. Like we're, you know. <laughs> so obviously we started out this podcast, I think it was the very first episode when the Alabama Democratic Party was still under old leadership and wasn't even keeping up the website domain, <laughs> which was horrifying in the year of our Lord 2019, where website domains are everything. And, you know, we've gone on a long ride here, right? And now we finally see that Nancy Worley has been removed. She doesn't think so still, but been removed as party chair and replaced with the first black Democratic Party chair, Representative Chris England, which is a very exciting and new fresh start. He also is a younger man. He understands that like social media and digital communications and organizing and spending money in a good way and hiring staff are like things that a party should be doing. And so we've got a lot of like great prospects here with the Alabama Democratic Party. But overall, for the year of 2019, just like freaking bless your heart. You put us through so much turmoil. And I I just... I'm actually still amazed that we're still fighting Nancy Worley on this front, and we probably will be um, until the middle of next year, I would imagine, at the least. And so, you know, the people are depending on it. We need a bipartisan legislature in this state. We have a Republican supermajority, and that's actively harming people. And the only other viable option we have are Democrats to level that out. And we've got to get to work. So bless your heart. Alabama Democratic Party, I hope that this is a fresh start and a new way that we can turn around and improve outcomes for the people in this state that need them. You know, it'll be interesting, I'll just say, to see now that we hopefully at least have a, a party that's kind of re- in a rebuilding phase, mm-hmm. you know, at, at best, um, we hope. <laughs> and to, But it'll be interesting to see, like, now if people who have been kind of really walking or, or maybe I shouldn't say walking the walk, but people who have been talking the talk but have not yet really walked the walk, if they really step up and, you know, find a, a way to support the party, to get mm-hmm. involved, to get engaged. Everyone's work in organizing by no means is done through, like, a political or, like, you know, kind of party-associated frame. But this is going to take people really starting from the base level. Like, mm-hmm. we've got to start getting folks like registered with the party. You got to build at the county level. Like you're going to have to build, build out volunteers, train volunteers, people how to door training, knock. Yeah. canvassing. Like it's going to take so much time as like Megan says to like build a real operation. And that's going to take a lot of folks who've been, you know, begging and pleading for, you know, there finally to be a democratic party that's up on its feet to like get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And so if you're listening to this and get your hands dirty. Yeah. Get your hands dirty. <laughs> exactly. Those are the people who, you know, we want to either get rid of or push to do better. But there are people who have just been exceptional over 2019. And we want to shout them out. And, you know, I'll go first because mine (laughs) is my forever queen. Her name is Chica. (laughs) If you don't know her now... You should and you will. Chica is a Montgomery-raised, Alabama-based artist. She is a rapper and a singer and a songwriter and just breaking down every barrier and wall and really 
showing the power of young activism through art with her music. And it's been a true blessing and like just a motivating force to watch her glow up. And I mean, she's a Vogue model, a Calvin Klein model. She just got signed. She has her first official single out. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see how she has been received on a national stage and just have the pride of the fact that she's from Alabama. We love you, Chica. You are my people, Chica. And also thanks for speaking out about the abortion ban because I feel that that was risky and yet you did it anyway to ride for your people. So thank you. Yeah, we've been saying like her just explode this whole year, which is awesome. It was just a year and a half ago she was performing and we were like hosting her at the beer garden. It's wild. And so super excited for everything she's had going on. The music, the Calvin Klein campaign, JoJo feature. I mean, oh girl, my, God, I know. my wig. Yes. I can't. Oh, forgive me. That's two singles. Yes. She's working on an EP right now. She tweeted about it mm. yesterday. So be look on the yeah, be on the lookout for yes, that. Yes, prepare yourselves. She will be applying the pressure. I'm sure all of 2020 and all of the 2020s. So go off, Chica. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and do mine very quickly. My people of this year has been the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. They are our local theater here in Montgomery, but they kind of do, you know, statewide um, theater. Dylan and I took field trip, many a field trip to the Shakespeare Festival in elementary, middle and high school. But lately, first of all, we partner with them a lot. And I just I really value our partnership with the Shakespeare Festival. And so there are people for that reason but another reason is that especially recently they've kind of hired new executive director and a new uh, creative director and their staff and the team over there is just really committed to taking an inventory of the types of stories and plays that they tell and that they bring to stage and really saying no we're going to be intentional about providing diverse perspectives and elevating the voices of um, women and people of color who are writers who are directors who are actors and actors actresses and and they did it this year I mean I I went and saw multiple plays this year at the Shakespeare Festival and it has actually re-energized my interest in theater in a way that I have never been interested in theater before and I think it's because I can see stories of things that are real life and like really interest me and and have really interesting perspectives and so just thank you to the whole ASF team we love you guys and we're excited to see how your work continues to develop under this new frame of thinking and under under this new intentionality and just thank you for making work that reflects our lives you know i have not seen as many plays in my lifetime as i've seen this year alone that were put on by the alabama shakespeare festival and every one of them has been really groundbreaking for me in a way in that they are, whether directly or indirectly, telling the stories of the folks around us and the way that current events are impacting our lives. So thank you. Tipping into the theater more in 2020. Yes. It's a real resolution. So I'm just going to close us out here with our people of the year with truly who I think we all would agree, really just deserves the crown 
the crown of America, the crown of the world, and that is no other than Queen, Empress, our Supreme, Goddess, Goddess, God, <laughs> <laughs> Stacy the Abrams. Woo! Who, after a 2018 that ended in a way in which many folks would have said she was out of it, she was out of the game. You know what I mean? Oh, you know, they talked about, you know, her future, you know, down the road. She'll have to wait her turn now. We'll see what happens, you know, whatever. Maybe, you know, the momentum really isn't there yet. Maybe the South really isn't there yet to, to mobilize, to, you know, elect a progressive Democrat like Stacey Abrams to a statewide position. But Stacey showed us this year exactly what it looks like to chart your own course and to stay on top and to look unbothered while doing it. And so we talked about some of her work throughout this podcast this year, but I think obviously the biggest and most bold initiative and effort of hers has been her founding the Fair Fight Action uh, nonprofit and PAC, which is now already bringing in millions of dollars to fight and target districts and states throughout the deep south against voter purging and to ensure uh, better more comprehensive voter protections from a policy level to also fighting those battles in the legal realm and the courtrooms and the work has been so important because even today the fair fight action team is in court and had to go to court to get an immediate injunction on a Georgia voter purge that was set to take place today. And they were able to stop that from happening with a temporary injunction. Of course, we'll have to still see how it goes, but that's tens and thousands of um, Georgia voters that could be purged. And the fact that they went into those courtrooms to stop that after just months ago, getting rolling and getting started, I mean, we can't really say enough about the importance of that work. And voter rights is something obviously so deeply rooted in the work of the South and the organizing of the South. And so to see this black woman, Stacey Abrams, who has received national and international attention through her gubernatorial campaign, which, you know, folks labeled a failure. However, we're seeing exactly, like I said, what it means to chart your own course, but also when you know your power and you are a real organizer and you're gritty, like Stacey Abrams, like she wasn't going to give up. And those of us who really watched her knew anything about her and her history knew that was going to be the case. And so I'm so proud of the year that she's had. Like I really do stand Stacey Abrams so hard. She is seriously like an idol, someone I look up to. I could only hope to work with someday. And so shout out to you, Stacey. You are my person of the year. And I'm so excited to see what 2020 brings, what you do for Georgia, what you continue to do for this country, what you do on the really battlefield of this fight for something that's very much still tenuous, which is our right to vote. So shout out to Stacey. We love you. And it'd be my biggest dream ever if you let us interview you one day. So bye. <laughs> so hire me. <laughs> I'm manifesting that for, you know, 2020 or 2021. Uh, or just anytime, you know, if you, you can fit us in your you busy can, schedule. Right. Stacy, you are also my people because like Chica, you also are fearless and take risks and say what you mean and mean what you say. And every interview... I've read 
with you or story I've read about you shows me that you are as committed to being genuine as you are committed to fighting for the people in your state and across the nation. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And one last thing, this ties back to talking about organizers at the beginning of this episode. Stacy is totally somebody who started this fight with 20 years down the line in her brain. Mm-hmm. And um, her her campaign was never a failure. Her campaign was about building infrastructure and that infrastructure led to fair fight and has led to, is going to lead to an incredible change in the way we do voting in the South. I just know it. And I, I just appreciate her being fearless and be, being willing to be the face of that movement because that's a very difficult place to be while also bringing people along with her and um, ensuring that it's, it is about the people. It is about making sure people can exercise their right to vote. So, uh, we should have just like done this entire episode about her, honestly. Honestly, just, like, honestly. just the Stacey Abrams uh, show. An idea. Well, as we bring this episode to a close, we have one last group of people that are our people, and that's you for continuing to listen to us as we, you know, process Southern stories, as we call out those who need to be called out and celebrate those who so rarely are celebrated on a national stage and we're thankful for you for joining us in that journey as always we would love your continued support as we you know take a little break and gear up for an even better and even more celebratory season two of the forward south podcast so thank you we love y'all Hope to see you in season two. Bring your friends. It'll be a party. Bring your friends. Bring your haters. Oh, we yes. <laughs> we love the haters. We have something for them Shout all. Them. <laughs> so thank you. Bye. Bye.